Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name's John, and with me, as always, is Steve. How are you doing? I am, I'm doing great, John. How how are you? How's your summer? Uh, great, great. Yeah, it's been pretty good so far. Uh, getting ready to head off to uh, New York, actually, and see what's going on there. Excellent. But, uh, yeah, lots of uh, stuff to keep up in the news. Uh, people getting indicted. That should be. Uh, <laughs> uh, the China economy, I guess there's a lot of concern about that. Uh, it, it just looks like it's just run out of steam after uh, sucking up all those um, uh, rural, rural workers into uh, factories and uh, exporting around the world. Uh, in the U.S., it's kind of up and down in the market, The the uh, in the economy, I should say. Uh, the market seems to think one thing, we're going to have a recession. Now we're not. We're not sure what's going on in, uh, in Ukraine. So lots of uncertainty out there in the world. I think uncertainty is the right way to describe 2023 and just the, yeah, as you say, sort of where things are now. 2020s. Or, or, or the, the 20s. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's yeah, the new state of being. Let's make it yeah. the decade. The whole yes. Decade. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But you got to do what you got to do anyways. Fortunately, we have somebody that might be able to help us think through this a little bit. Uh, we're lucky to have Pia Wendelbo, the CEO of Scandinavian Change Agents with us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John and Steve. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you just started, so let's see how you feel at the end. <laughs> but uh, you know, out of those things we better. mentioned, you know, uh, what 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 do you think's like the the big thing globally? I guess uh, China politics. What what kind of strikes you these days, uh, just in the news? Honestly, um, we are just settling down here in Spain um, for almost a year uh, and I'm still sort of adjusting to getting all the local news. So I'm kind of a split bit, bit, a bit still between Danish Nordic news and then the Spanish uh, news. So that's quite uh, interesting actually. So you kind of feel you're a bit in between. Um, but definitely, as you were just saying before, the, the whole recession uh, is some, somebody, something everything everybody is talking about. Uh, I think the interest rates, uh, what's going on in the house uh, markets, that's something that has been really uh, filling up a lot of the news. Um, so people have been a bit concerned what will happen there and a lot of stuff has uh, has stopped a bit. Um, but now thing, it seems like things are moving on again. As you were saying as well, at some point we have to carry on. So we can't keep waiting. People still have to live, right? People still have to move, uh, that kind of thing. So that's so, so that's, true. Yeah. yeah, right? So that's yeah, why yeah, no, the other part me. is this. It reminds me of the John Lennon quote, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so at least how I look at uh, sort of recessions and also in terms of the investments and so is that it, it, it usually comes in bumps and then things has a tendency to then fall, fall back again uh, into to settling down. But of course, it's a new normal. Things have definitely changed since uh, since COVID and now with the war, which is is awful. Uh, to think that that this is actually going on right now, still. Yeah. So actually, so so Pia, I'm 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 so curious. So you you know, of course, you do consulting with with a lot of uh, fintechs and banks and sort of on on the more technology side. But as you say, there we're sort of seeing how um, uh, geopolitics and global events seem to be encroaching upon business to a greater extent now than in the past. And I'm curious about how. You think of uh, again the uh, the effects of geopolitics, and they say things like the war in the Ukraine, uh, sort of rising global interest rates and all that, and how that affects how you look at a more 
what would have been considered a more technical issue 10, 20 years ago? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good uh, that's a good question. Um, I think yeah, yeah know, Steve's good at that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think generally that what we are seeing is that there is just so much change going on and and outside stuff coming in. So I think generally, uh, what I see when I work with with uh, with companies is that you generally have to be way better in thriving in change because there's so much going on on many different levels. Uh, one thing being the technology, as you were just mentioning, uh, and then the, all the other stuff that's going on now in the world as well. So, so I think you as a company, you kind of need to practice how you actually thrive and change, how you make sure that each person in the company actually feels okay with change going on. Because for me, it's kind of a, it's a baseline. It's a fact. It, it, it's a fact that it's not going to go away. Uh, so, so I think it's quite interesting to kind of help companies uh, figure out how you kind of stay resistant to, to, to dealing with the change all the time. So I think that's, that's quite interesting. So when you go to a company, what kind of, what are, what are the things that you see that are kind of like warning signs that this culture might need more, more of your services of, uh, of uh, uh, embracing change than, than you might have otherwise? Yeah, I think I think when, for instance, when uh, when I go to companies, it can be that they are stuck with they are trying to maybe implement a new kind of culture, or they are. What I often see also right now is that there is a lot of uh, new processes or software that they need to implement, and then in that process, they kind of forget the human side of it. So, so they kind of um, how should I put it? Uh, put too little. Uh, emphasize uh, and effort and focus on how the people are actually thriving in what they're trying to change. So, so that is some of the, the areas where I, I find it quite interesting to go in and try to support, to work with, with each person and figure out, you know, what would actually make that person uh, feel better in this change. Uh, as what I often see is that, for instance, if you come with a new strategy or you come with this new uh, software technology that we want to implement, um, then people are usually quite scared. Uh, it's like, mm, do I know how to handle this? Uh, will I will still be good at my job? What is going on with all this stuff in, in the world now? Things are, AI is taking over, some, some other stuff is taking over my job or, or that kind of thing. So, so it's a lot to do with actually teaching the management level also how to create a space where it's safe to, to, to learn and grow, basically. Forget the humans. All right, that, that's such a classic mistake. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I remember um, even back in the '80s, where GM tried to catch up with the Japanese, and they just threw a bunch of robots into their factories, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> completely screwed the whole thing up. Where they should have introduced one at a time, uh, worked the kinks out, gotten the experience, and then uh, you, knowing that, seeing Elon Musk kind of doing the same thing, just throwing so many. Uh, robots, and then he had to pull back as well. There, there's so much institutional knowledge, cultural knowledge that has to be gained when when you change your processes, right? Exactly, and also the simple thing of of uh, actually creating Slack because when when you are introducing, as you were saying now, robots, for instance, it's a huge, it's a massive new thing going on here. The way you the the way you used to work is is different now. You have to interact differently. So you have to give Slack in an organization to actually 
make sure that each person actually grasps this new way of working. Um, and as we are quite uh, lazy people in general, the way that we actually take on change, like if you oh, you, you've heard happen, our podcast before, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Uh, it's, you, it's, it's quite simple. So, so you can't take in a lot of new stuff at one time, right? You really need to create slack, but that's usually quite hurtful because you as a CEO or in the management team, it feels wrong to, to kind of step down and say, okay, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that, right? And so it's kind of a hard process to take things off the table, but that's actually what is needed, especially if you really want to thrive and, and change and, and succeed with your transformation. So what are the main benefits when you you know, having this kind of a change in your, your culture to, to embrace change? I would say the main benefit is that, that personally, I think that, for instance, if we are now talking about change or innovation and that thing, instead of making it a project, something that now we are focusing on and we are trying to do it right now, it should more be something that you are generally working with, feeling comfortable having in your daily work life. So it's 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 about making it, it very tangible and very operational, actually. Uh, feeling, feeling that it's natural to just work with this uh, all the time and also feeling, okay, okay, we don't exactly know what's on the other side of this, but let's go and have a look and see what we can do about it. Or maybe we'll have an idea here. Uh, maybe it doesn't work, then we go back and then we do something else. So, so it's the whole mindset, it's, it's a way of working. Um, so people actually feel comfortable in being uh, in this constant change and, and actually play around with it instead. So it turns uh, to be something fun instead of being something that is really scary. It could be a challenge or an opportunity. As, uh, COVID, exactly. kind of swept, as COVID kind of swept through the world, uh, what are the things that, uh, did you notice some things that companies did where you were like, oh, they, they really shouldn't be doing that, or that's probably not the best way to handle this. I think it's more post-COVID, actually, what I think is quite interesting, because what I've seen is that a lot of these big corporates, they they kind of try now to take back the control of uh, of the people in the organizations, because it seems to me, at least, and also what we were measuring under COVID, is that people were actually, in, in many ways, thriving quite well with this remote working uh, it was really something that people said, hey, I have much, much, much smarter way of uh, handling my daily stuff. Uh, I don't uh, commute, I spend so much time on commuting and a lot of other stuff. So actually, in many ways, it feels really nice that I have more freedom in my life. But now what I'm seeing is that a lot of the big corporates, they try to now drag people back into the offices again and then leaving a lot of people quite frustrated because many of these people has also in the in between moved to other places because they thought mm, maybe we don't need to live right in the big cities right now maybe i want to live somewhere else i want to be more of a digital nomad or something like that but now when people are um, like the companies are now trying to drag people back into the office it, it creates a lot of frustration um so i think that that's quite interesting yeah, so actually, on on that point, Pia, I'm I'm quite curious. So we had we um we had a discussion last week with a with a person who, who wrote a book on on collaboration and who seemed to stress the the benefits of being of working in person as well. And mm. his his thought is that possibly you know the ideal scenario is may, maybe working two or three times a week in the office, but it's mm. more important, of course, the earlier you are in your career. So that as a as a young professional, and I totally I I think I'm I'm. 
um, completely in, in agreement with, with with this. I think that the younger you are in your career, the more you benefit from being in the office. Um, how are your clients now, either in Scandinavia, throughout financial services and banking and fintech, how do they approach the idea of working from anywhere you want? And how do they look at return to office? Is it seen as more of a mm-hmm. hybrid model or are they pushing for a full-time return? Um, what's sort of their their approach to, to this post-COVID world? Yeah, it's a hybrid, but with, with uh, a bit of uh, tendency to going more back to the office, I would say. Uh, so, so usually what we see is that they want people back uh, three days a week at least, and then they, they kind of have one, two days a week where they can kind of float and decide themselves where they want to be. Um, so, so that's the general, I would say. Is it easier to to devise a culture of collaboration and sort of innovation in a small space than shifting an an older organization to that? Or how do you think about how you can engender this again this the this this culture of creating new things and being a dynamic organization? You can definitely transform, but you are right. I would say that the bigger ones are a bit harder usually to turn around, uh, whereas the smaller ones they're usually a bit more open. Uh, how they look at that but generally I would say it has a lot to do with the people inside so so if you have like uh, managers who really push for for the more remote style you can definitely do that in a in a very established company as well so it's more about creating the space for it uh, so it's, it's it's definitely people driven um, but for sure if it's, if it's a big organization then there's there's a lot of units that needs to kind of agree that this is the way of then working and then of course it makes it more complicated to to go in that direction if not everybody is kind of sharing the same view so you you work a lot with with, with customers both in Europe and, and in the US um John John and I are both in in California here and I'm just curious about how um, how you see the different approaches to culture and how different clients or companies think think of culture either in the US yeah. or in Europe how how are they? Oh, different? that's a good one, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That yeah, they are they are differences uh, for for sure. I would say that in general, I would say that that the American companies are a bit more corporate, uh, and you see a bit more structure, sort of in the levels where what I see, especially in the Nordics, uh, it's very flat structures in general. Ah. I should note that for my day job, I work a lot with. Um with uh, uh colleagues in the uk and i sense a general i don't know whether it's just my american optimism but i sense the general sense of more um maybe less optimistic outlooks in general from my uk colleagues is that something that, that you see as well in terms of how the employees themselves behave and look at the work or do you see maybe uh maybe uh, a different level of job dissatisfaction or engagement or sort of how how are employees as well different mm. you know and i know this is a huge broad stroke but how are they different in the yeah. u.s versus in, in europe oh that's a really good one uh i don't think i've, I've sort of um seen any specific things between that part of such as more between the general europe actually and then then now spain where i'm living now because uh, sort of in the nordics and so people are a bit more, as you say, uh, dissatisfied. Whereas, as as uh, here, for instance, in Spain now, I'm experiencing that people are way more happy and open-minded. And I'm just thinking that it's to do with the weather and the sun, and you don't get all that <laughs> rain and the darkness uh, half of the year. That that's been my explanation, at least. Uh, that that my, my cousin calls it the it. Dolce Vita belt. 
the Dutch Vita. The Dolce Vita belt. I love it. I call it the, the warm weather. You're not going to starve to death in the warm weather places. <laughs> You're so. not. It, it, I really believe that there's something to it, at least. Um, so, so it's been quite interesting to 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 see that play out. Uh, I would say, but I haven't actually been focusing on whether there's a difference between people's mind when I work US or in 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 UK as such. That I haven't sort of picked out hmm. as such. My my own uh, non-expert view is that um, here in the US we sort of work to live, whereas in other places they live to work. Oh no, the the other way around. Sorry, we live to work, whereas in other places there's more emphasis on, on enjoying your life and sort of taking things more slowly. Uh, sort of the stereotype, and I think that th there's a little bit of truth to that as well in terms of how I see my colleagues uh, again in Europe and here in in the US as well. Hmm, that's very interesting because I also feel that at least coming from many years of corporate work in in uh, in the Nordics, uh, I I see the same. So that's interesting. <laughs> Oh. Um, although, although in in, in in your case, we should know that you actually you're, you're able to be a nomad. So you you can actually live in Spain and work with clients throughout um, two continents. So you've 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 made it work. Um, um, is is the key to that success success the fact that you are able to basically be your own boss? Is that where we should be headed? That, I think that's part of it. Uh, that was at least what I wanted to 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 do for a while, and being in the corporates. Uh, for, for quite many years. Actually, I started my career uh, being myself as well, uh, kicking off my own company when I was only 18 and a half year old. Uh, and then I went back to the corporates and now it feels like I'm come home again. So so for me, the entrepreneurship has always been a big part of my life. And even in the corporate world, I worked a lot with the with the startups and fintechs as well. So, so I, I think the whole sort of creation, innovation, all of that has always been really close to my heart. So for me, definitely, uh, personally, it felt like coming home to, to be my own boss. Uh, but I think a lot of the reasons why I'm able to do this as well is, is actually that I've, I've figured out a way also where you can actually mix being remote and then also being on location. So from time to time, I also travel, of course, uh, to be in person, but most of the time it's, it's actually remote. And I've been uh, sort of um, experimenting a lot with how to work with teams remotely um, mm. and create that psychological trust in the team quite fast and, and we have figured out some some good ways of doing it uh, so some of the teams i've worked with i've only been working with remotely i've never met those persons which is quite interesting wow. as well fascinating interesting um one, yeah. one more question on sort of the the cultural stuff and then i promise that i'll stop um but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so curious about how um well, it seems to a be good like line. Yeah, yeah it, it is it is yeah. Um, it, it seems like um, uh, if you look at sort of uh, fintech companies and even founding as well, there seems to be a lot of companies that come out of Sweden and, of course, the the, the UK as well. Fewer companies from France and Italy, I, I've, I've noticed as well. And I'm curious, what what do you think is driving that um, that difference in in even just the number of companies being founded? Is it just access to funding, or is there something more? intrinsic in the culture you think or maybe the economic structure of the company that leads some to great companies again more in sweden and in, in the uk um than say in italy and spain and, and elsewhere throughout europe mm. yeah i would say it's not just for me at least when i look at the nordics uh i would say it's both sweden it's denmark it's norway uh mm -hmm. and it's finland uh and mm -hmm. i think if you look at those countries around 90 
is 798% of all the businesses that are within those countries are small, mid-sized companies. So, so it's kind of the market that, that most of the companies are quite, quite small. And we kind of have a culture uh, of trying to build that. And what we have seen also over the last at least five years is that there's a lot of focus now also on the universities, uh, different education, stuff like that, really teaching people how to be their own bosses. So even if you're a carpenter or that kind of uh, work as well, you, you have a part of your education where you are actually taught how to drive your own business as well. So it's something that is, is getting more and more focused actually to really make people thrive. There's a lot of organizations also supporting startups and fintechs um, and in general uh, people who want to go uh, solo uh, in how to do that. So, so they are supported even from the state and the governments uh, and the universities on, on doing so. There's a lot of free stuff as well that you can gain and get. Um, so, so there's a whole ecosystem kind of supporting these kinds of uh, startups. Right. So it, even, it, it seems even like the, that... even the banks as well. Actually, the banks are so the, many of the the banks are also going in that direction, having having specific focuses on on startups and fintechs. If you look at a, a lot of the Scandinavian-based banks, there seem to be a lot more um, forward-thinking and forward-looking than, say, the French banks. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. I haven't been able to quite put my finger on why it is that they seem to be much more tech-forward and sort of forward-looking than the other banks as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot going on. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, for instance, Slush as well. Slush is a huge, huge uh, space of innovation actually going on in Finland uh, every autumn. And here all the big banks also in the Northeast comes and then they then you can pitch. Then you as a, as a startup, you can come and pitch your idea. You can pitch it for investors. You can pitch it for banks uh, uh, and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of ecosystems also generally going around where you can actually as a startup pitch for, for people who want to invest and so, so that's really a lot happening there. So say, say that I am the prime minister of Spain and I say, I want to make my country a lot more entrepreneurial. I, I want to make sure that, that, that we can address this youth unemployment problem and actually create a more entrepreneurial class and have a more technology forward class. What would you change from a government policy perspective as well? If, if I could make a queen with the, you know, a wave of my wand, what would you queen change Pia. inside Spain yeah. and Italy? Yeah, Queen, queen Pia. I, love I would it. vote for a Queen Pia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's amazing i have to go on this podcast more often you know so i get uh, pronounced as a queen um i think what i would start uh changing here is is looking at the ecosystem and how the governance is around starting up companies so it should be quite easy for startups to be in there so looking at the tax system the the vats or sort of the whole regulation around it, uh, just as we were discussing before, like with with a big change. Uh, also here, people are uh, kind of our brains are lazy, right? So if it's really really difficult for you as a startup to 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 engage into this, uh, many people will maybe stop on the way. It's just too complicated. I can't really put myself into this. I don't know how to do it. So so usually that's the first thing that stops people. So. So from a government point of view, I would I would try to also look at all the pain points that you as a startup have and then try to remove all these pains along the way to really support them. And that's actually what we have been trying to do, at least in the Nordics, really putting this echo support system around those so it gets easier to, to kind of navigate through all these different gates that you have to go through as a startup and protect. 
And then there's these ecosystem of co-creations, for instance, you have in the Nordics. I'm not sure if you have that in the US, actually, I've never investigated that. But for, for instance, in, in the whole Nordics, we have um, these fintechs um, sort of uh, collapse uh, where, where you are actually invited to go in and you also cooperate between the countries and internationally. Uh, between those, uh, for instance, there's there's Copenhagen fintechs, uh, there's Sweden's, there's Finland. So they kind of co-create with each other and support each other's ecosystems as well. Yeah, and that's actually something that the governments also support. So these kind of hubs, they also get governmental uh, um, support uh, to exist, actually. So I think that's that's some of the areas you should look into as, as, uh, as a country if you really want to create different. And then, of course, the whole financial system should also support this. And that's what at least is going on now in the Nordics that you see the banks also really trying to support these smaller businesses because of course it's it's very different. When you start up, you have a need for much more capital. Uh, your burn rate is usually a bit higher. So, so that's something you also need to kind of cater for in a good way. Uh, but definitely things has changed there a lot after the, the COVID. Before that, it was just uh, pouring money out uh, and all these fintechs and startups were just allowed to, to spend an enormous amount of money every month. Uh, now it's very different because now you, as a startup or fintech, you have to prove that you're actually capable of creating a sustainable business, which I think is quite healthy. So, so I think it's interesting what's going on right now. And you'll see a lot of change um, of how people now drive uh, through with these new businesses. Yeah, one one thing that, that I've also heard from some students, just from friends um, who are um, starting a company, I believe in Germany, is that they say that it's much easier to, to declare bankruptcy in the U, in the U.S. than it is in in the eurozone, which means that you're more likely to take risks and that you won't be as personally uh, uh, as personally affected if your company does fail. And I think that setting up um, uh, a system whereby individuals can also fail and they won't be severely punished can also be um, exactly. quite good towards creating that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a balance because, of course, you also sometimes see that if there's too much of this, then then everything is 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 uh, just too risky, right? But but generally, yeah, yeah. So that's going back to making it easy to be in this environment. So so for sure, and it doesn't cost much either uh, to start up a company. You don't have to have a load of cash to actually start up something. You can do that very low key, actually. It's quite easy uh, in the Nordics to get a CVR uh, number, actually. You can just have that actually basically without having any money. Then it's personally. Then if you want to create a company, as you were just saying, uh, where you don't personally actually risk uh, your own uh, money, then you have to pay a, a smaller amount of money. But it's still doable. It's still feasible, yeah. Um, go, going back to sort of the the, the core fintech questions as well. Um, it seems like it seemed like maybe uh, pre-COVID and during COVID. A lot of companies in the fintech space came sort of doing payments was was a big one. Um, open banking in, in the UK as well. Um, what are you seeing? And of course, crypto, of course. Um, but what are you seeing now on the horizon in terms of what types of sub-industries within fintech or financial services are becoming more popular, say, either in the Nordics or in Europe more broadly? I still think that the whole uh, e-commerce part, and of course, that's since I've been, when it comes to the fintech part, that, that's that's the part of the, the fintechs that I work most with. So that's also where I'm most familiar sort of with the, with the trends. So I, I still believe that there's there's a lot of uh, stuff going on uh, around the e-commerce part. We haven't really seen yet uh, the next stuff to come here. And I think the whole AI now 
it's quite interesting to see how that will affect uh, things. You already see, uh, for instance, Klarna, some of the bigger ones now implementing uh, AI into their funnels as well. Um, so that is some of the stuff, at least that's that's uh, quite much focused on at the moment, how to actually implement the whole AI uh, into your uh, e-commerce funnels. Uh, and then I, I see another thing is that uh, the whole ecosystem around the e-commerce, there are so many players on there. So it's in, going to be interesting to see how that settles down, uh, whether it's the, the platforms, the PSPs, the banks, the, who, who's going to sort of uh, win that battle in the end. That, that's quite interesting also, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Who uh, who do you think is doing a really good job uh, these days, whether it's fintech or banking or or even outside of the industry, even without your help, uh, that's, that's doing <laughs> things pretty well. I I think actually that they need each other. At least that that's my conclusion. I don't think that that fintechs can exist without the big banks or the other way around. Because what I see is that a lot of the fintechs they have brilliant ideas. They're very good with the process part of having new technology coming in there. But what they are lacking is kind of the whole compliance, the risk, everything there. And it's a huge job to actually navigate around that uh, space. And that's where the the, the more traditional uh, financial institution, those who've been in the market for many many years, they have invested invested heavily in that area. So so that's at least what I'm seeing that they kind of need each other. Uh, so I'm not sure like what we're asking like who's doing best. I I think I hope also that we will see more and more co-creation uh, going here and bigger ecosystems because. From a um, customer point of view, I think they would like this to be as simple as possible. And even also for merchants uh, as well. So if you're an end user or you're a merchant, you, you want one solution that covers everything. So I think you you kind of are forced as a FinTech and financial institutes and PSPs and all of these players, they are kind of forced to, to work together. Okay, now the all important question. Uh, how did you end up picking the south of Spain being from Scandinavia? <laughs> Oh yeah, actually, as actually, it's 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 a bit of a funny story because I I was supposed to go to either Italy or France because we love the the, the wine and the food there. But then it's we had sure. some good friends. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Then we had some good friends who has a house here in Spain, and they offered us to stay a week in their house, and then we completely fell in love with mm. with Spain actually. And then we started looking deeper into it, and then what I figured out as well is that. Spain is actually really interesting from an innovation point of view because um, the governments are now realizing that they definitely need to pour a lot of money um, into optimizing the way of working, processing everything. And the EU has actually also spent quite much money now here in, on, on supporting Spain on that. So I think it's it's a multi-part of interesting people also from the Nordics coming down here now trying to kind of create uh, this innovation space. So, so I basically feel now that uh, it's kind of the same feeling as as ten years ago in the Nordics. That that's what's happening in Spain right now. So so from a work wise perspective, it's quite interesting to to be here in this melting pot at the moment. Uh, but then yeah, of course for, for for us personally, it's the it's the weather, it's the people, um, it's the beautiful mountains and the sea and all the outside living, and a bit more sort of also going down in energy. Uh, used to always be very, very busy. So I think it's actually quite nice to be able to breathe a bit deeper, I think, work a bit less. 
work a bit less. You there? I'm convinced now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I had to say. I'm on, oh, that's I'm on the travel side. Working, I would say at least, yeah. A balance, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's life yeah. balance. It's not work balance anymore. That's interesting. It's life balance. I think that's uh I wonder if that's a larger cultural change here in the U.S. You know, you have that quiet quitting hashtag trend, uh, the strong job market, people not wanting to go back to the, to work. Hopefully, uh, I think I always see that the U.S. is at the top or near the top in terms of hours spent working or at work, at least. Mm, yeah. uh, I, 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 hopefully that's a, a healthier trend uh, for the U.S. to to a, rebalance that a, a bit more towards family i really and, hope and... for you guys i hope for you guys yeah, yeah because i think <laughs> it's crazy us, actually when you look yeah exactly <laughs> right is it still like two three hours and uh, two three weeks a year that you have vacation right in in the nordics at least the normal is five many companies offer six and there's actually a, quite many also now offering seven or eight uh, weeks of vacation and now we're also going into a phase where it's not five days a week you work but four days a week which i think is really interesting oh. especially from a neuroscience behavioral a design point of view because our brains are not necessarily more effective the, the longer and the more we work it's more about the quality of work you do my last boss told me my brain was not effective most of the days of the week <laughs> so i mean anecdotally that kind of supports that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah right we're, we're not might not be built for for that as far as uh certainly not for knowledge work and well yeah, physically too you need to rest and and to build up yeah yeah hopefully that's pretty um, much research actually showing that that uh, around right. 30 36 hours per, per week is kind of uh, good and somebody going now even uh, lower uh, i think that was a norwegian uh, uh big big uh survey and uh, that showed that and now we are even seeing quite positive results for these 30, 30 hours uh, per week where people then only work four, four days a week. You see more and more companies, at least here in the Nordics, trying this model out. It's quite interesting. So, Steve, any hope of your Japanese colleagues buying into this? I uh, No, I think <laughs> it, it'll take them several generations to get to this space, but I can only hope. Like some cultural, yeah. some severe cultural change. Yes, yes. Sure. yes. Multi-generational <laughs> yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting how different, how different, how different we look at that, right? From from different parts of the the world. And hopefully, if you're listening, you're in a part of the world where you are working only four days a week. Uh, <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Some really interesting points and uh, some some good advice. You're so welcome, John. It was really fun being on. I know, isn't it? Right. No, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fun, yeah. aren't I? I'm a fun guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah we were pretty fun. Uh, yes, yeah, that's Pia Wendelbo, the CEO of Scandinavian Change Agents, joining us. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news. And thank you for listening. 